0: Like how you decide which sperm to use, the cold, hard truth of fertility, your reality of dating as a single mother who doesn't have a co parent to rely on for occasional childcare,
1: and what it's actually like to parent as an SMC.
0: This is the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice podcast.
1: Hi, Pod. How's it going? Yay. <laughs> Happy Monday. <laughs> yes, we are back. Um okay so this topic is one that's near and dear to both Hera and I and it kind of gets into what it's like to actually live and and walk this path as an SMC on a day-to-day basis 365 days a year and you know we want to to definitely acknowledge that while some people make it look easy it might look easy, but there's a ton of work that goes into it, you know, behind the scenes, a lot of thought work, right? And so it's not an easy path. So point where we decide that we want to become essences even long before the baby arrives, we are thinking through, right? We're thinking about how we want to navigate, right? So one of the first hurdles that we grapple with is how do we become an SMC? You know, do we do adoption? Do I go through a pregnancy? Do I do a surrogate? Right? Mm -hmm. And then should I have a one night stand and not tell the dude, right? I
0: (laughs) So I think that like, I think what we're trying to get to get at is that, integrity is woven throughout the SNC narrative, right? right. And yeah. so I think what makes this path perhaps unique, and I know a lot of parents are intentional about when they have the baby, right? Like there's just, there's a lot of people who do planning, but mm-hmm. planning is necessary when you don't have a partner because you aren't just having an oops baby out there. It's It's like, you have to go through all these thoughts and I think you have to be somewhat more intentional because all of these conversations that you would have with a partner, you're having with yourself. And you also have to realize that when the rubber hits the pavement and there's a kid standing in front of you, you're not gonna have another parent to navigate what to tell. So I think that in this community, and I would and I and I say the SMC community at large, Aisha and I have been rolling in this space for almost a decade now, probably more for Aisha, more than a decade. Probably, like probably 12 years, you know. And we see people at all stages in this process. And so I think really today we want to focus a lot on like just working through some of the, some of the, some of the messy, uncomfortable thoughts that we have to sit with as an SMC. Right. Like what, how do
1: sperm source right do i go with a commercial sperm bank or do i go with a known donor right there are implications to to both of those mm-hmm. avenues right can i point to somebody in the street and say there's your sperm donor or am i just pulling up a profile on a sheet of paper right how do i tell my family and my loved ones that i've chosen this path right because you making that decision is step 1 mm-hmm. telling the people you love that this is your decision and having them share with you their unfiltered thoughts on that decision, you know, can be rough. And, you know, some cases, if you're lucky, you have a totally supportive family and, you know, village structure in place, but that's not always the case. What do you Mm -hmm. tell them?
0: So I also think there's levels of consciousness, right? So like, I think we sometimes make the assumption that just because somebody might end up in an SMC space, that everybody has the same level of intention or consciousness, right? Because there's like, to me, there's like, there's like multiple parts to this. Like oftentimes there's, you know, we've spoken about like the catalytic event, like what what brought someone to come to this decision or come to even thinking about this path, right? And I think oftentimes as women, one of the first things that we think about is like biologically, what what can I do right now, right? I just watched a video that Lolo Jones put out there about like freezing eggs and she's 40, and I think she thought like, oh, I'm going to freeze my eggs and like, it'll be cool. And the doctor was like, hey, so guess what? 40 a little bit late to the party. Right? right. And so I think this is like, at first that might help that that's, I think that's oftentimes the first issue the woman grapples with. It's not even like about the baby daddy. It's about like, okay, you know, am I going to biologically have this baby myself? Am I going to carry a pregnancy? Am I going to need a surrogate? Am I going to need an egg donation? Am I going to, you know, maybe I want to adopt and, and adoption doesn't always mean age, you know, you just might want to adopt, right? So you first have to kind of check in with yourself and your body and your situation and be like, where's that leading my path? Because we can all want something and like our bodies will be like, nah, girl, (laughs) that ain't going to be your story. Right. And so we really just, and I think that can be hard. But for those of us who, for whom that maybe wasn't the hardest decision, right? Like maybe, maybe you're, you're young, you're fertile. So you take that potential part out of the equation, you know, you may have more options. And I think a lot of people have hard time with gate number two. And gate number two is in order to go this road, the child doesn't have a father. And so that can be, that can honestly give people decision paralysis, or at least from what I've seen, like Mm -hmm. they, Mm -hmm. they have a hard time getting off the fence because of, because of that. So Aisha, let me ask you, and I know we've sort of had this conversation about when you were in that thinking stage, do you think that gate number one or gate number two was harder for you? (laughs) <laughs> so remind me, remind gate me number of- one is like, what am what is my body capable of? Uh-huh. And and what and 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 through what method do I want to become a mom? Like, do I want to carry? Do I want a surrogate? Do I want adoption? Or is uh-huh. gate number two the baby daddy gate? Was that more of a challenge for you? Or or what? I think for me, you know, I think a lot of us
1: are naive when we come to, to the the decision to become mothers or, or mm-hmm. parents, right? We're like, I'm invincible, I'm healthy, you know, everything mm-hmm. is just going to work. So I didn't give any thought to gate number one. It was really gate number mm-hmm. two. Can I do this? Can I do this by myself? You know, will I have the financial means, you know? But
0: then pay- there's the letdown though. Like I want to honor that. Like, I think a lot of us come to this invincible, but then like, reality and nature right sometimes but you, tells you like Mm-mm, it ain't right, as you, easy as
1: you thought but you asked me which no, was right, harder right right for me right okay, and so the so. harder for me um and I think it, it's hard for a lot of people to to grapple with mm-hmm. like you know can I do this by myself right yeah. and so okay so once I got through that then you start thinking and you start going through the, the process of actively trying. And then that's where you get hit with the, hmm, I'm not invincible. But I didn't get to that point until I had my second child. So for mm-hmm. me, it was like clockwork. You, you, know? had already, you had already grappled with. Yeah, I grappled mm-hmm. with you know, the planning side of it. I was ready to try. I was not doing it with a, with a partner. And it worked on the second IUI for my first kid. So there wasn't a whole lot to wrestle with at that point.
0: How about you? I didn't wrestle with gate number one, Mm -hmm. uh, but I also had already had a previous child. So I knew, and I was super young in comparison. I was 31 when I decided to be an SMC. So I also think sometimes it's really hard for me to, I don't want to say understand, but since my catalytic situation was, a terrible co-parenting situation, Mm -hmm. I didn't have any desire to co-parent. So Mm -hmm. I think I also, I mourned the idea of the traditional two-parent household when my Mm -hmm. son was here. And I do remember going through the mourning cycle. Like I remember going to a gas station and this is like the, the weirdest random memory, but it pops into my head every time I think about this. And my son and I getting, I was getting out and I was like pumping gas. And then I had to bring him into the store. And there was a dad who was there with his son and they were wearing the same shoes. Like they both Mm -hmm. had Jordans on or something. And it was so clear that this son who was like barely toddling was just so excited to be with his dad. Right. And he was just like, I'm your mini me. This is great. And they were just living their best life. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just, even though like my son and I had this incredible bond and he didn't know anything different in that moment, I was sad for him. I was like, you know, but I think that the difference was that I was sad because I knew he had a dad. Right. right? And this wasn't a situation where like, I intended on single parenting. Like I intended on giving him that father and that Mm -hmm. father was not the person that I thought he was. And so I will say that when I went to have my daughters, I never had that moment Mm -hmm. And I think it's because you can't mourn something you didn't have or something you didn't plan. Like, at least for me, I didn't feel that same. I didn't point to a person in the world and say, I wish that person were the person that I intended to parent with. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I didn't experience gate number two in the same way Mm -hmm. as I think I would have if I hadn't had a previous situation. Right. Right. That makes sense.
1: Okay. So you talk in terms of gate number one and gate number two. And so th- those are probably two of the biggest hurdles to get over what your body can do. And then mourning
0: the the vision of having a partner. Well, I guess, and there's a gate number three though, like, can I do this by myself? Which is kind of tied to gate number two, but yeah, I so think. That, yeah. I, mine yeah. was
1: coupled with gate number two, right? Can okay. I do this? you know, do this myself. Mm -hmm. And so after I ran the numbers, I figured, you know, I I could, right. And I didn't Mm -hmm. know what I was getting myself into, but there's also kind of like a two-pronged approach in the, the larger SMC space. You know, there is the type A or the type B SMC, right. And so when you're what do they call it? It's not It's not type A, type B. It's the plan A, plan B, SMC, right? Oh, so if yes, yes. If you're a plan mm-hmm. A, SMC, you know, for whatever reason, that this was always going to be your path, right? You knew that if you wanted to have kids, mm-hmm. you were going to get a sperm donor, you were going to have them on your own, you were going to raise them on your own, and you were fully confident in that. Mm-hmm. that a plan B, SMC is someone who envisioned for whatever reason that they might be doing this with a partner or for whatever reason, their ideal did not pan out. So then it is um, defaulting to plan B. And I think myself and quite a good number of SMCs are plan B SMCs where we do say Mm -hmm. you have to mourn the loss of what that dream was for you. So for me, I was married and I thought, you know, while I was married that I would bring a kid into the marriage when that did not happen and I was dating. So I didn't necessarily too much mourn the divorce. Mm -hmm. I just always thought that I would be partnered and have a kid. And so when that did not happen... I had Mm -hmm. to kind of come to terms with, okay, so I'm doing this, you know, and then go through that entire thinking process. So that took me a good
0: part of a year. So I wonder though, I, and I think, I think sometimes I think we are creating a new generation of normal mm -hmm. because I think many of us probably point back to a time in your life, even if SMC became your plan A, like Mm -hmm. like some of us, it did like myself, it became my plan A, but it wasn't always my plan A, right? Uh-huh. And so I think the thing that's interesting and I, and I will refer to a conversation I had with my daughter this morning that actually made me think about this. We were, we were sitting on the porch and she asked me the other day about puberty. And so we've been having these conversations about like, you know, where the babies coming from and like, what's going to happen to my body. And so she said to me, she said, what if I never want to get married and I just want to have a baby the way you had a baby? And I said, Hey, that's cool. That's an option. And so she starts asking me like, where do I go get the baby? How do I, she's like, you know, does the donor pay you? And I was like, no, that's not really how it works. They make a donation and like, you know, they get paid for their time or whatever for the donation, but it's not the same as like, you know, a regular financial exchange. Right. And so I also explained to her, you know, my thought process. And I was like, this is the type of donor that I was looking for. I wanted somebody who looked like mommy. I wanted something as similar background. Cause I, a very strong identity in my like racial identity. Right. So I could tell by the look on her face that she was just like, it was, it was kind of this, like she, it was like that moment where it was like, that's kind of cool. Like, I like this. I could be down with this. And I also told her, I said, look if you eventually decide that one day you love, you know, a man or a woman or want to get married, like that's also like a very legitimate way to start a family. And like, but I liked the fact that for her, her normal was, this is how you create a family. Right. And so I think that we are creating a generation of kids who realize that there are so many options out there. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that they will mourn things the same way. I think they will make decisions based on just how their life is and what they want. But I don't think it's going to be a process the same way of like mourning what they think is the traditional because for them, like this is the normal.
1: And so I like that you brought that up because I think that being an SMC for better or for worse forces us or challenges us to live life bravely right and it's like this is not an easy path you know it scares the hell out of me you know Mm -hmm. to be home alone with kids and there might be like a rodent outside or a snake a snake (laughs) a snake that I have to kill or something right but it is it is you know it's not an easy path but we there's so much bravery involved in the path and we have to have these these open and honest conversations with our kids and it Mm -hmm. it almost our choice almost gives us like a stepping stone and so I every step of the way, you could either be honest or play around with the truth and tell an Mm -hmm. alternative fact, right? Mm -hmm. And so each conversation you have with your kids, or as you navigate society as an SMC, you get to make some personal choices about, how you tell your story, who you tell your story to, how you convey it to your kids, because those little eyes are watching you Mm -hmm. and they're starting to build foundations of their own personal integrity as well. And so and I think that that matters. So by having those honest conversations like, you know, I don't I don't know all the answers, but here's here's what factors into my decision. Right. Because we spent so much time thinking it through by the time those little ones start to have the questions hopefully it rolls you know mm-hmm. kind of off your tongue and you know as we talk one of the more ch- other challenging conversations is the conception story right and so you know in the SNC space we say tell them early tell them often because it gives you an opportunity to you know practice your 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 narrative you know before the costs are high
0: so let's let's talk about that a little. I know it 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 has come up in the space the spaces recently of like okay, let's say you chose this life, you went and found a donor and by donor I mean like a man who has agreed he is the donor and and or an actual donor um and by agreed like legal paperwork that I am not going to co-parent. I think that early on, like as soon as your kid arrives, Or actually, before the kid arrives, you're pregnant, right? And people know you're not married, and Mm -hmm. so the questions start. So Mm -hmm. I think that that is the time when you're first faced with, "What do I say to people?" And Mm -hmm. so for me, I remember going through a stage where it was never a moment of shame about my path. It was just that when somebody, when you're married and somebody asks you about the baby or someone sees the baby, there's like an obvious answer, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you don't, by talking about it, you don't have to get into something that is deeply personal. Mm -hmm. And I think that the hard part about the SMC path is that when you face somebody and these questions, at least for me, there's always this moment of like, how much of myself do I want to give this person? right so in the early stages a lot of it was practice it's like you know there's levels and there's ways you can answer stuff so for example i remember being in the grocery store and this was actually after my child was born somebody comes up to us and they're like oh like your daughter must have your husband's eyes or her father's eyes and so i paused for a moment and i looked at her and i goes huh maybe <laughs> and then I walked away, right? Because I was like, "This is somebody I don't know. I don't have time to sit here and go into detail about how it's a donor." And I also felt like it was just a little bit intrusive in general, because it's like, "Well, what am I supposed to say to that?" Like, I don't, I don't even, I, I don't even know why somebody would ask that to a stranger. Uh-huh. Whereas, I with with my own family and people I actually care about in my life. I am willing and welcome to get into a deeper conversation that includes how I chose the donor that I chose. And mm-hmm. the reason I am is because these are people that I want around my kids. Mm-hmm. And so I want us all to have the same party line because that's what I want my kids to know. So I couldn't have anybody in my community who's going to be saying like, this is what, you know, what was a, a person's eyes look like? Right,
1: right, so so, yeah, so those early stages are are quite interesting, and we get to make choices, right, so, I've never felt as seen as I felt when I was pregnant without you know a ring on my finger because you we we are conditioned in this heteronormative society where two parent households are put on a pedestal, and everybody else is trash, right, and mm-hmm. so it's just like, so that's how I was navigating the world, but. One of the interesting conversations that I had was when my daughter turned one and somebody, you know, her name is Noelle. And so, you know, happy and jubilant, you know, we're playing with dogs and somebody was just like, oh my gosh, is her birthday in December. I said, no, December is when she was conceived. And, you know, it just, and then you're like, (laughs) "Uh oh, (laughs) (laughs) put that back. Like, yeah, you know because I did IVF, you know, and so you kind of knew when it exactly happened. And so, you know, and it's just like, like you said, if had I been married, it would have just rolled off, right? Oh, and and also it also would have turned around. that
0: moment into like, a totally different level of awkward. <laughs> and it's funny, because you followed up with the like, let me make this less awkward, so that they know that this is like medical <laughs> made it more
1: awkward, right? Because it's just like, they're probably looking at me like, but that's the whole part of like practice, right? Because the yeah, practice yeah. is not for other people. The practice is for you and your kid. Mm -hmm. And as often as you say it, what you share to the extent of what you share, hopefully you're consistent with it. And it grows as the kid grows because they're listening. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, okay, Hera, another another question. We were at Wine Wednesday and a conversation came up around, you know, do you call it a donor? Do you call it, what do you call it? Do you call it, you know, the baby dance, you know, whatever.
0: (laughs) So I am, I am, I did go through a phase where I was like, what do I call this person? Right. And I'm glad that I settled on something by the time my kids were conscious enough to be paying attention in that way. Mm -hmm. I have settled on calling the donor a donor because to me, a father or a dad is somebody who is supposed to be there and who is parenting actively parenting mm-hmm. and so i chose to call the donor a donor because i think that it it is true and and i i don't like living in the shadows yeah. and i don't want my kids to think that there's something wrong but i also over the years have come to understand that the word donor in this context has been hijacked for lack of a better term mm-hmm. because i think there are a lot of women out there who have deadbeat dads, who should be dads, who are effectively a dad, whether they're parenting or not. Right. They're not dads and, in quotes. They right, should Right. They're just right? a dad. And so they are calling these people donors. So let me be clear. Like my ex was a deadbeat dad. He was an all the way deadbeat dad. He was not a donor because the expectation from Jump, the expectation that my son would have had for him was that he was a father. And that would have and did at least for me create a feeling of disappointment and 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 also frankly i think you have expectations yeah and it is really hard to go through as a parent and i can say this having done both mm-hmm. knowing that there is another person who should be there taking responsibility right and so for me whenever i hear people who are relating or calling those types of dads donors a little piece inside me dies because it's not fair to my kids and all fair. of those kids that are conceived via donation and i mm. think this also goes to and we talk about this like a lot of times people say that donor conceived children are upset and don't like that term but i wonder if they don't like that term because it's been bastardized by people who are taking it and and calling it something that that it isn't because When I say donor, I tell my kids, a donor is a good thing. It's a good person who was kind, who donated tissue so that we could be a family. Right.
1: And yeah, I think a lot of the kids are also bitter because- They've been lied to. Right. To be perfectly honest, you know, we're starting to see this will probably be the second or third generation of donor conceived children and with SNCs firmly in the mix. And I I, I I, guarantee that the narrative is going to be a bit different once the community is more um, inclusive of yeah. our family structures. Because but I've
0: seen it even in my donor sibling group. We have people who are in two-parent households granted mm-hmm. it's two women but i had a one family approach me and they wanted to get our kids together and they hadn't yet told their two children that they had different parents like, one of them was not a donor conceived child and one of them was mm-hmm. and they wanted me to refer to their children when i spoke to my kids as cousins and i said to them i do not lie to my children right and so if you are unwilling to be honest with yours then we can't we can't meet. Right. I mean, I'm just I'm not going to tell my kids that you're cousins because I'm not your sister, and we're not cousins. Like we're not right. family like that. They're not cousins. Right. Yeah. So in our household, we refer to
1: the donor as donor as well. Um, for me, it's just clean, cut, clear, and dry. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like when we talk about body parts, we call mm-hmm. a penis a penis, a vagina a vagina, and we call breast breast. Right. There's mm-hmm. when you start when you start mixing up terminology and calling it cutesy things, a lot of the meaning, a lot of nefarious behavior kind of gets mixed in and it just becomes a recipe for disaster. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what I tell my kids is just going to be straight, no chaser. It is what it is. And let's have that conversation. Right. And that way you get in front
0: of it. It also, I think what is also hard for some people at times is that when we are in that phase of practicing what to say, I say practice because sometimes it's less about what you say and more about like how people react to it. So Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the practice too. So I always encourage women like go through that practice phase before your kids are fully conscious of what's happening Mm -hmm. and understand that some of this is like, for example, if you refer to someone as bio father, right, Mm -hmm. just understand that the person on the other end who does not know you is going to make a lot of assumptions that are not true that may actually Impact their facial expression. Because Mm -hmm. if you say, oh, their biological father was XYZ, then that person's going to be thinking about a man who you have now called biological father. So not the person in the life, but that there is a person who should be there. And Mm -hmm. so the look on their face, you may think it's them judging you for being an SMC. But what you have to realize is that even though SMC is more common, most people don't think about this path. I was at a parent event and when I said that there was no husband or father, the women's immediate reaction was, I'm sorry. And I think like, for me, I quickly clarified because I didn't, I wanted them to understand that my situation was a choice
1: mm-hmm.
0: and not something that happened to me.
1: Right. Right. Cause
0: I was like, you have nothing to be sad or mourning about or uncomfortable about like, this is just who I am and what I chose It brings parenting to life. We want a mom who's listening to see herself and her kids in these stories and rest in the confidence that she is the perfect mom for her kids. Check out the I'm on podcast with new episodes every Monday.
1: So, so quick question, Hera, did you ever go through a stage where you, you had worries, you had concerns and you were like, I'm not sure if I could do this, right? I know you, you were at this stage, yeah. of the stage,
0: but did you, did you have those? those? I didn't, behaviors? but I think it's also because, I mean, again, I had lived the life of, uh, of single mother by chance. Mm-hmm. And so I knew I could do it on my own. In fact, I was like, without this extra drama, it's going to be so much easier. And right. I wasn't wrong. Like it is so much easier. And it's not to say that it's not without challenges, right? I think, you know, we say, choose your heart all the time. Like it's a different level of heart. But I think that I say this feeling for those women who have men out there who should be paying child support, who should be taking responsibility, right? That mm-hmm. is, that is a burden you have to face and carry and a level of fear, frankly, because you could have a guy who is supposed to be there vanished. He can come back at any time and that's scary. Right. And so I will say that like, for me while my son was still alive i always told myself if i ever if i'm ever a mom again it will be via donor because for me this was to me the, this was the easier the safer path just psychologically um but i i can i can understand uh, or or p- perhaps empathize with folks that are scared because i do remember even just before I was a mom and, and, and when I knew, when I thought I had a partner in it with me, I was still, I was still scared of being a mom. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember days before I gave birth to my son, I was like, I had this panic moment where I was like, am I ready for this? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm ready for this to be someone's mom. And so I think that the fear that a lot of people have is just the normal fear of like, am I going to be good at this? Right.
1: So I, you know, once, I did spend quite a few years thinking. And I think once I made the decision, I did not waver. And I think we we have two two types of folks who come into our space thinking. We get the folks who come into our space thinking, and they're just like, yeah, I'm not sure I can do this. I'm not sure, you know, this is the best thing to bring a kid into this world, you know, mm-hmm. without a father and you know, and in the in the in the midst of their their meltdown, they're mm-hmm. actually dragging us down with them and it's just like you can't serve two masters like you can't mm-hmm you can't straddle the fence it makes for a really dangerous situation because once you start thinking and then you start monitoring your cycles mm-hmm. you are you already are aware that you could get pregnant right with anybody that you choose to be intimate with and mm-hmm. so you have lost plausible deniability for me at that point, when you are tracking your cycles, and then you wind up with an oops pregnancy, like there's no oops pregnancies, right? So you can't really straddle the fence. Otherwise, you put yourself in a situation where you're not sure what that other person is going to say or do. They're trusting you, you're getting down and you're intimate, they're trusting you to be honest, right? Mm -hmm. And so to, to some extent, there is a trust issue if you Do all of that, knowing what you know, and not give the other person a heads up, right? So you can't straddle the fence. And many people end up starting on this path and then verging from this path because they get pregnant by mistake and they end up in a disastrous situation because it's not anything that was discussed. It was not anything that was thought of, but you know, in your heart of hearts that you were tracking your cycle, you know? So for me, once I made the decision, I was done. But in our community, we do get those people that come there and they're so centered on themselves that they don't realize that we are actually living this life. So when you're like, oh my gosh, is my child going to be a detriment to society because they don't have a father? Those are my worries and my fears. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. I got a 15 year old and that's not the case, but all right, I'll sit here and listen to you as you trashed our lifestyle.
0: You know, I think that's a big one. Like, I think that, I think... I think what I want listeners to know is that Aisha and I have been very I mean we we sometimes have to walk in our own trauma for the sake of bringing making this path more approachable, right? And so we are definitely, you know, you can you can see as you can see through all of the different avenues, like we answer questions, right? We are very open and honest and we live our lives with integrity by being honest to ourselves, being honest to our children, being honest to our community. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that for me personally, I just want to keep the integrity of what it is to be an SMC. Mm -hmm. And if I were to ask of just this community in general, just let's let's be very careful about what we call a donor. And let's be very careful about like just the terms we use because I think words matter. And what I don't like is when when there's people out there who just try to muddy the water, because I think that doesn't just impact our community of SMCs, it impacts our families. And for me, I'm just I am so thankful to have been able to have this life. And I am also fiercely protective of my family and my family structure.
1: So I will say, Herod, Herod took the high road. Me, I'm afraid of my children when they're adults. So everything that I do, I do, I try to do very thoughtfully because my mm-hmm. kids won't be kids forever. At some point they're going to become my peers, right? And they're going to ask me, "Hey mom, you know, why did you make this decision?" You know, I want to understand that. And I want to be able to articulate that to them with a high degree of credibility. I want them mm-hmm. to be proud of the way that I raised them. You know, and so for me, I'm thoughtful every step of the way because I don't want my kids to turn around and and, and have to love me, but not respect me and the choices. And so and mm-hmm. now the entire community benefits from that because that is my compass. They are my North Star. And everything that I do and every, every everything that I am and how I navigate the world is so that they can respect me. And and I love this community, you know, so much to put that out there. Like I love y'all, but little people didn't have a choice in this world, and I need them to respect me. And so, oh, that's awesome.
0: This is a family, and I just want to say that I am so thankful for you, Aisha. And mm-hmm. I am thankful for this family and this community that we built. And I am also thankful for you, our listeners who have hugged in with us for all of this time. And yeah, we're going to, we're going to continue talking about these tough topics. And I also encourage women just, you know, try it on, start, start practicing what you're going to say mm-hmm. because well, but while you, when your kid starts having conversations back, It's going to get real tough, real fast if you haven't had these little conversations with yourself previously. Thank you everyone for joining us and remember to follow us on Instagram, Mocas.
1: Well, Pod, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you like what you heard, share us with your girlfriends. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So tell us what you thought of this episode on social media. On Facebook, we are at Mocha SMC Podcast. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Mocha SMC. You can find additional information on the topics from the podcast at our website at mochasmc.com. Till next time, Pod. Bye now.